The scene we just read in the gospel today uh, comes from the transfiguration, which literally means to transform into something more beautiful. Christ transformed into something externally far more beautiful, which the fathers of the church say it wasn't as if Christ became something he wasn't. He manifested at that moment what his true nature was as God visiting earth. But what the question I want to answer today is why now? Why at this moment on this mountaintop did Christ choose to be transfigured? What does this signify? And I think it has something to do with his mission of why he came. You know, when I was first ordained a priest, I had the blessing to go to Israel and walked along a lot of the places Christ himself lived and worked and did his miracles. And I have to admit, the most depressing thing I experienced when I was there was going to his hometown in Nazareth. Because Nazareth, the place where Christ grew up, spent more time than anywhere else for 30 years, God on earth. And today it's 70% Muslim. Like you walk around there and as a Christian, you feel like an outsider. And I just, to me, I was so, I couldn't understand it. Like, why couldn't Christ at least protect his hometown? Like, there of all places, everybody should believe in him. You know, it's like, it's as if 70% of Seattle wasn't Seahawks fan. I mean, it's understandable, just doesn't make sense, you know, in the end. And I was talking to my spiritual director about this, and I just, what I said was, it just seems like Christ failed. Like, if Jesus Christ is truly God, why don't more people believe in him? After 2,000 years, why are there so many that still reject him, that choose this world instead of following him? And when I asked that question, my spiritual director did what he does often, and he, he kind of just looked at me with this face of pity, like I'm a young Jedi who still doesn't understand the way. And he, he just said to me, that's because you've yet to understand his true mission. Jesus didn't come to win. He came to love us to the end. That was his mission. And that's why on the cross, right before he died, when he had nothing left to give, he could say, it is finished. It is completed. Because his entire mission for coming here was to give himself to the very end as love incarnate. And that, that, I never forgot that. That changed the way that I look at Christ. It changed the way that I look at my own priesthood and what it really means to be successful in life as Christians. Because the transfiguration, it's clouded. It's surrounded by the passion of Christ. Right before Christ goes up Mount Tabor with Peter, James, and John, it was the first time that he predicted to them that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem to die, to be handed over, which no one understood or predicted before that time. And while he is on this mountain being transfigured, he's speaking to Moses and Elijah, who represent the Old Testament law and the prophets, the ways of righteousness, of salvation. And in Luke's gospel, it tells us what he was conversing about. He said he was speaking to them about his exodus, that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. His exodus, meaning his Passover, his passion, death, and resurrection by which we are saved. And immediately after this scene, 
He tells them, do not speak about this until the Son of Man rises from the dead. So everything in his transfiguration is surrounded by that moment when he will give himself unto death on the cross. And what some theologians have said is that what Christ experienced on Mount Tabor, that transfiguration, was a manifestation of his own joy of getting that much closer to his passion and the Father's delight in him of the sacrifice that he was going to make. Because Christ's whole goal was to reveal who God is. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, became flesh, became man, so that we could look at him and see in him what God looks like. And the Father, who is pure gift love, looks at his Son on that mountain, who is going towards his passion and death, and he's overcome with joy and pride to see himself reflected in the Son, like a father who says, that's my boy, you're doing it. Christ is reflecting that total love of the Father on Mount Tabor. You know, I once read a story about a man who, he was living in a prison camp for some years. And in that time, he lost his entire family. And at one point, he was going on a death march, what he thought was a death march in the dead of winter. And in this place of total deprivation, he was just thinking to himself, you know, what is life about? What is the purpose of life? Why are we even here, right, in the face of death? And he said something I've, I've always contemplated. He wrote this later on in his journal. He said, in that moment, a thought transfixed me. And he, as he was thinking about his wife, his children, everything that he was losing, he said, a, a thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth, as it is set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers, the truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which man can aspire in life. Then I grasp the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought have to impart, that the salvation of man is through love and in love. And what he came to see that in the final analysis, that love is the only thing that matters in the end. Sometimes we have to be stripped of everything to get to that understanding. And that's also why If we're not growing in love with Christ in our Lent, what we talked about on Nash Wednesday, we're not not utilizing it what it should be. Everything that we strip ourselves of, everything that we do during Lent is meant to bring us to this place of becoming more in love with God and love for one another. And this man who was stripped of everything in life, that's what he came to see. And I think that's what we see on the transfiguration too. When everything else is stripped away, we become who we're supposed to be to the degree that we love God and we love one another. That love is what transfigures us. It's what makes us more beautiful. You know, Mary, when she appeared in Cabejo in Africa in the 1980s, she appeared there to warn the people about the genocide that was coming. It's the fastest... Um, approved apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the history of the church. 
Um, beautiful miracles. If you haven't heard of Our Lady of Cabejo, please look it up. And uh, at one point, the girls, they talked about what Mary looked like. And they said she was the most beautiful woman that they'd ever seen. But she wasn't colored. They didn't see a color of skin. What they saw was almost like what the apostles saw in Christ, this emanation of light. And they asked her, why are you so beautiful? And she responded, I am beautiful because I love. I'm beautiful because I love. Love makes us beautiful. It transfigures us. Pamela Anderson is hot. No doubt about, okay, now you guys are awake. All right. Pamela Anderson, very good looking. She's not beautiful. St. Teresa, St. Mother Teresa, not hot, beautiful. There, see the difference there? You understand that? All right. Love, uh, sorry, being hot is something that's very pleasing to the eyes, but it can also be very egotistical. I use my looks for my own gain. And it's something that ages like milk. It, it goes away, it fades. But beauty is something that goes down to the soul. And it's something that gets deeper with time. That's why you could see Mother Teresa, right? When she was like 250 years old, she's still incredibly beautiful. It's something that goes down to the soul. So why all of our grandmothers are beautiful. Maybe not hot, but they're, they're beautiful women, right? And that's the goal. That's what love does to us. It makes us more beautiful with time. And Father John Hardin, he described beauty as that which draws on being seen. That which draws on being seen. There's nothing that more draws on being seen than the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on Calvary. And why is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ so beautiful? Why does it draw us to contemplate him, especially in Lent? It's because he's total love. That's the place where we see God in all his glory, who is total self-gift, self-emptying love. And that's why Christ said, when the Son of Man is lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself by the power of his total self-gift. And we should think about what we're asked to do from the Father in the moment of the transfiguration. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What we do in life is determined by what we say love is. And we all know people do some pretty shady things in the name of love. I remember when I was in elementary school, I was watching Dr. Phil. It was a really bad day, I think. And uh, I still remember this to this day. I wasn't even a practicing you know, Catholic by any means. But I saw this couple, this teacher was on Dr. Phil, he was like 40 years old, and he had just left his wife and four children to uh, marry one of his students who just turned 18. And when he was asked why he did this, he said, we're just following love. We're following, we're allowing love to take us through life. Now, how often do people do that? How often do we use love 
to do the most egotistical things that only bring chaos and destruction behind us. When we talk about becoming love and becoming transfigured by the gift of love, only Jesus Christ can show us what true love looks like. Only Jesus Christ has the power to define love, who is love incarnate, and who manifests that on the cross. So when we have to measure, when the world is telling us that love is love, and just follow your heart, and if, you, if it's love, you can do anything you want, the way that we discern, is it coming from God, or is it coming from a pure egotistical desire of self-fulfillment? We look at the cross. We look at Jesus Christ crucified. Is this love? How does this measure up to him? Because only Jesus Christ reveals to us what true love looks like. Jesus didn't come to win. He didn't come to be successful. His entire goal on this earth was to give himself to the very end for love of us and for our salvation. And that means that's our same goal too. We're not measured by how much money we make, by how many converts that we get in life, for how much consolation we have in life. What we're really measured by is how much did we give ourselves, even if nobody else sees it. The transfiguration was hidden. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was hidden. And only a few people were there to witness that ultimate act of love of God. And so it is in your lives too. The, what, the love that transfigures you in your relationships, in your marriage, as mothers and fathers, as spouses, as children, it, they're hidden sacrifices that maybe only a few witness. But what you have to be attentive to is the Father's delight in that. And the more that you recognize the Father delighting in your sacrifice, even if nobody else witnesses it, but because it's the right thing to do and it's your gift of sacrifice. You're just following his voice, listening to him. That's success. That's what it means to be a faithful Christian. And we're empowered to do that in every mass that we come to because it's right here on this altar where we get to experience that total gift of Jesus Christ who continues to give himself completely, even in a world that continues to reject him. It was on that last supper when he instituted the Holy Eucharist, when the scriptures say, Jesus, knowing that the hour had come for him to pass from this world to the Father, having loved his own in the world, he loved them to the end. And then he gives up himself in the Eucharist. And there's so many people who do not recognize this, who do not see the coming of the Son of Man on this altar in the form of bread and wine. But to the degree that we ourselves see it and allow his total self-gift to enter into us and to be formed by it 
and to be transfigured by it. We will recognize the true love that can truly save our souls and transform this world.